This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Students are making some big decisions this time of the year. There are plenty of students who are considering what post-secondary school is going to be right for them. And of course, choosing the right school goes well beyond rankings and reputation. You have to find the place that suits you best. And certainly if you have a disability, you have to consider accessibility services. Anna Kim is a community reporter based in Wetaskiwin, Alberta, and Anna has some thoughts on picking the right school. Hey, good morning, Anna. Good morning. So, Anna, take me into your life here. What's the process for you right now? How are you trying to pick the right post-secondary school? There are so many factors that go into choosing the right school. I mean, when you're in elementary and then maybe junior high and high school, those schools are chosen for you based on the proximity you are to them or or where your parents send you. But this is the first really big choice about where your life is going to go is you have to take in so many different aspects, as in how far it is, what the school offers, how big the school is. Like personally, I'm coming from a very small town. And if I were to go to say the University of Alberta in their Northern campus, that is a school full of students that has, you know, is like the three times the population of my hometown. And as much as I love the programs that they have to offer there, and I would love to go there, I don't think I would become able to be in an environment that is just that filled with so many people. And as I had to take into consideration their accessibility services. Mm-hmm. They do have a great wide range of, of many different services. But when I take into consideration the size and just the campus itself, I'm as much as I love it, I can't go there. So then I have to take into thought, well, maybe I'm better with a smaller school. And then I look at the smaller schools and I say, well, this program, this school is the that has the program that I want. And then after I find a school that is kind of small, you know, contained for me personally, coming from a smaller town background, I have to then look at, okay, well, what services can they offer for me? Because I do have some certain requirements that I need for, say, exams or navigating the campus is a really big one because all the universities that I know are in other cities mm-hmm. except my hometown because small hometown. <laughs> so it's a completely new environment to, to navigate. And so then I have to go and discuss with people, well, what do they offer? And it can't just be like as much as I, I admire and I love administrators in the student services and accessibility areas, you really have to talk to students and mm-hmm. faculty of that mm-hmm. school, which is why open houses are a really amazing thing. But there's just so many things that you have to look at and kind of check all the boxes to say, is this the right school? And, you know, there's some things that personally I've had to waver on and say, well, I can give up a couple things or or change a couple things to fit this school. But it's such a long, weary process. Oh, my goodness, it just keeps going. Yeah. 
there's options. It, it's, it's also a big decision, right? There's both decision fatigue because you're trying to think about so many individual components. And then there's also choices. Like you said, big city, small city, big school, small school. Who's got my program? What are the accessibility services? Forget even the question of accessibility on campus. What's the general accessibility mm -hmm. of the city or the town that you're going to be moving to? Like, do, do they have public transit? I don't mean to be adding stress to your probably already very <laughs> stressful life. But yeah, first of all, I'm just really impressed that you have the maturity to be considering these things because when I was picking a university I was like well I live in Montreal McGill's down the street they'll let me in I know where the I know where the subway station is okay that's where I'll go which was which which in the end Anna was a huge mistake because I didn't go to the place that was right for me mm -hmm. and I find a lot of students I'm sure especially those with with special needs or disabilities right they they can kind of struggle with well, you have to move away from home. And sometimes, yeah, you don't want to move to a bigger university that's further away from home. And it's a really, really hard decision to make to then say, okay, I'm going to completely enter this new phase of my life and go be surrounded by numerous amounts of different people. There's really no way to ease into universe, the university path at all. You're just kind of thrown in to say, here you go, fend for yourself. <laughs> and so then you really have to learn to rely on other people and rely on those accessibility services and and make sure that they're a good fit for you because some accessibility services are better for others than they are for you. And I find that you really have to discuss with, with that core group of people to say, this is what you need, this is the supports that you need. And I mean... I've been to a couple university open houses. I've actually I've been to to one that I one fair that I was at where it was specifically for persons with special needs. And as much as I appreciated the effort that went into it, the the services didn't quite understand their their demographic. And so it was just all of the normal university fair type things with the really small brochures with really tiny print mm. and there were a lot of um, deaf individuals there who needed sign to to communicate, but they didn't have interpreters there. And so, you know, it made me look at the universities and say, well, I I don't feel that this service is necessarily concrete enough for me because they don't even they don't necessarily have the the things to even cater to me at a job fair. Just mm -hmm, I just need big mm -hmm. print, you know, and that's just me. Other people need some some more kind of deeper um, accessibility things. And so you, I just, it always comes back to you really, really have to go look at that core group and see what fits you. Which can be a little bit onerous, right? Maybe you don't want to go to Red Deer, Calgary, Edmonton, Lethbridge, and a million other places in between over the course of the next few months right? just to get a sense of what's going on on the ground. But as I read between the lines there, Anna, what it really sounds like is maybe universities and colleges need to be a little bit more thoughtful and preemptive in what they want to bring to the table precisely, right? If they're going to have a specialized university fair, then maybe they need to make sure if they're sending their off for students with disabilities, they clearly demonstrate and indicate that they get it and can clearly demonstrate what actual services are available on the ground. That, that's what I read between the lines on your last answer. Oh yeah, that is that is hitting the nail on the head, really. That I think that is what definitely students need and universities need to understand is, yeah, understand 
your group, the group of people that you're going to talk to. If you're talking to just a general high school, you know, going to the high school, doing a university fair there, then I understand the the idea of, you know, the normal brochures and everything and, and talking with people. But yeah, if you're going to a specific accessibility university fair, you should cater to the demographic that you're in and say, well, we're going to talk to these people. Maybe we should have the, the accessibility center head the main person there because they'll know what's going on right mm-hmm. so no one even no one even had that and i was honestly a little a little disappointed with how they did there i thought universities with their expansive knowledge and diversity in students would definitely be better than what my high school would have to offer right but that did sadly i mean i had to do some more digging on a on personally i couldn't really discuss it with the the fair people there right right it, it took a lot of personal research to find the university that was right for me, as you know, as it as it should. But if you're going to a specific fair to discover what they have to offer in terms of accessibility, then they should be able to just to let you discover what they have in terms of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and I look forward to the ongoing development of uh, this next uh, chapter of your life as you go through the application process. But let's put a pin in that one for now and talk about electric cars, because certainly they're becoming way more common on the roads, but they are posing a pedestrian safety issue, especially for folks in the blind and low vision community. What have you been experiencing with electric cars on the road? I live in Alberta, obviously, and Alberta is filled with very loud trucks and (laughs) tractors. And during harvest season, there's just noise everywhere. And I have found that electric cars make no noise, which is very problematic when, personally, my vision, if I look at something too quickly, it doesn't register in my brain. And so if I'm crossing the street and I look both ways and I look both ways again, you know, we'll say specifically in a parking lot and I start walking and then this has happened. It actually happened yesterday in a parking lot that I was in up in Edmonton where I was crossing. And then all of a sudden there's just this vehicle that appears beside me out of nowhere. I swear it just was popped there. And I, what, I'm like, what in the world? And then I saw it. Yeah, it's, it's an electric car, and it just makes no noise coming up. And I didn't realize, but they had turned a corner while I was walking straight, you know, with the no peripheral vision. And they just kind of came up. They weren't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention until suddenly they were there. And because they make no noise, it didn't indicate to me to say, hey, look around. There might be something around you because the two seconds ago that I looked, it was fine. What do you think manufacturers could be doing better here to address this issue? Um, honestly, I have no idea. I I don't know if there's a way to make some sort of noise on on these vehicles. I don't quite know how electric cars work or what features they have or or you know how they are. I don't know if there's sensors on the outside of the car to detect people because I know a lot of vehicles have that now, mm. electric or not. So if there was something like that to say, hey, there's you know someone coming up, blind, you know, blind or not, you need to know if there's people in your way. You kind of don't want to fulfill that whole ten points per person thing. Yeah, and yeah. and make sure. I sometimes it doesn't come down to the vehicle; it comes down to the person. So kind of the driver has to ensure that they're aware of their their surroundings. And then obviously, me as a pedestrian, I have to take that really extra step and make sure, okay. Look both ways, 
maybe three times instead of two times and keep looking both ways as I'm crossing the street. Try not to kind of be in my own little world in busy cities. Yeah, I know some cities and some governments are talking about uh, noise standards, like actual noise emission standards on cars for precisely the issue that you're talking about. But it would be nice if the car companies themselves would realize that, hey, no one says we need the thing to roar its way through parking lots, but just give me a little, just give me like a little little indication, a little, little, little yeah. noise here, a little, little teensy yeah. Anna, let's wrap this up on a quick uh, holiday fun note. The Octokos Christmas Market, I messed that up. The Okotox Christmas Market will take place at the Foothills Centennial Center uh, from November the 10th to 12th and 17th and 18th. What makes this market special? Oh, my goodness. I absolutely love farmer's markets because they are very, you know, casual events where you get to sample so many different things. And personally, as someone who is very tactile and there's so many different fabrics and little objects and it's a, a place where you can kind of just go and touch everything and see everything all in all one place. And then someone over on one side may have something completely different from someone over on the other side. And it's a great place to find just personalized gifts. So something like the Okotoks market where it's massive. There is so much to see. It's in two different locations. And it, I mean, it's spanning over two weekends. There's obviously a lot to see. And I mean, not only in the farmer's market, but in Okotoks itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a great environment to be in. You get to meet so many people and, and really find a bunch of kind of niche little things. And I mean, supporting small business, local business is really close to my heart because my family used to have a business in the town that I'm in. And I think that it is highly important to look towards the local shops before you go into any really big box stores. And this is a great opportunity to do so. Anna, thank you for this. Much appreciated. Have a great day. You as well. For more information on the market, by the way, themarketsquare.ca, themarketsquare.ca for uh, more information on that one. Anna Kim is a community reporter in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. In one minute, Laura Bain will share some thoughts on the new Netflix show, All the Light We Cannot See. But first, a couple of car companies are breaking up. Mike Dubusky tells you which ones in Tech Trends. If you've seen advertisements for new Honda or Acura EVs, the all-new, all-electric Prologue SUV. Well, those actually run on Ultium, an electric platform developed by General Motors. Honda and GM were going to work together and stuff, um, and they did. The, the Prologue and the ZDX are basically GM platforms running on Ultium. And Chad Kirshner of EV Pulse says the plan was to move that partnership down market. Basically, Honda and GM were going to work on building inexpensive EVs. But GM GM's own Ultium vehicles have had a challenging rollout, says Kirshner. The company recently delayed production on its planned electric Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra. And I think that those challenges that GM has had with Ultium has what caused Honda to walk away from their co-development deal with GM. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Turning to the world of entertainment, Laura Bain, all the light we cannot see, just dropped on Netflix over the course of the weekend. The story of a World War II family with a blind child trying to escape Paris has uh, garnered quite a bit of buzz online. 
Yeah, that's right. And it's actually the number one most watched show on Netflix in Canada right wow. now. So very popular. Um, yeah, I had a chance to check this out. I checked it out last night. I only got through um, an episode in a little bit. I had some things I had to get to. It was hard to tear myself away, honestly. And I'm I'm looking forward to tonight when I can watch another oh, episode or two. You, but... you, have, you have more discipline than me. When I get hooked, I get hooked and everything else falls to the side. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was tough, but I thought it was so good. I really really enjoyed it. I realized that I had sort of I'd been aware of the book as having something to do with blind people and being a bestseller, but I'd kind of avoided reading it just because I tend to not want to expose myself to mainstream depictions of blind people in mm, literature mm. or TV or movies. Um, but I knew about all of the consultation that had happened on this and of course the casting. And I know you did an interview last week with the accessibility consultant. So I was open and excited to, to watch this. And I think what really struck me was just how refreshing and empowering an authentic depiction of blindness is. Um, you know, there were times where I was watching it last night and I'm thinking like, why am I finding this so why is this resonating so much for me? Why am I finding this so empowering? Because the main character, Maria, might just be doing something normal, like going out for a walk by herself or operating a radio transmitter. And it's just because it's so rare that we actually see that. We see blindness portrayed kind of without the tropes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it, I think so much of maybe what's resonating with you and why the show is garnering buzz, not just for the content, but for the casting of an actor who is indeed blind, has really mattered, I think, in the way the show has been received, not just broadly, but within the community as well. Because Laura, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the buzz I came across this weekend was very, very positive about the portrayal of blindness and the casting of an actor who's blind. Yeah, absolutely. Me as well. I, I did try to dig into Buzz and I wasn't finding as much as I thought I would. I think that's just because it's only been out for a couple of days. But everything that I've read has been so positive about the two actors that play Maria. Uh, so that's Aria Mia Loberti and Nell Sutton. They're both new actors. And you. I think that knowing that especially is what blew me away because you wouldn't have any idea. And they just lent such an authenticity to the role. It really just had me thinking about, I mean, um, I know you had the accessibility consultant on, but how you need those multiple perspectives. It's not enough to just have an accessibility consultant, nor is it enough to just have a disabled actor. You really need to have both because people have such different experiences mm -hmm. of disability. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was just doing some reading about how um, Aria and Nell were giving their feedback a lot of times during the production to say, oh, I, I wouldn't do it that way or I would do it this way. And I think that really came through. Well, Laura, Amy Amanti is going to do a full-blown review on the show next mm -hmm. Monday of the uh, first season of the uh, of the series, or at least uh, of the series, I should say. So thank you for your initial thoughts on this. Before I say goodbye to you, a little bit of Juno news coming out this morning. Nelly Furtado has been uh, named the host for the upcoming <laughs> Juno Awards this spring. So things are going to get a little bit promiscuous, I suppose, on stage at the Junos. 
Yep, exactly. That was my update. So it's just been released. Uh, Juno is happening in Halifax in March of 2024. And we have learned that Nelly Furtado is going to be the host. So we can look forward to that. Uh, we'll fly like a bird to that one in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura, thank you for this. Have a great day. Well, don't have a great day yet. You're coming back in a couple of minutes. So don't go too far. Don't stray. Yep, sounds good. The broadcaster instincts. I was going to tell Laura to have a great day, but Laura's going to come back for another column in the second hour of the show. Lots of doses of Laura Bain today. Coming up after the break, the province of Quebec is unveiling its economic update this morning. I'll have that story in the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.